Turn, if you would, tonight to Second Chronicles chapter 30. Second Chronicles chapter 30. Who would have thought there'd be this much preaching out of Second Chronicles, right? Yeah, okay, no response. Uh, I did not think there was this much preaching available out of Second Chronicles, and I've been helped by it. Hey, Teresa, will you turn this up just a little bit? I'd hate to think somebody can't hear. That's why you didn't respond. All right. Who would have thought you could get this much preaching out of Second Chronicles? Nobody would have. No, not a soul. All right. That was better. Very fake, but it was a lot better. I appreciate it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, I am thankful for each person who is here this evening. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless our time together, that you'd use it to help us, Lord, that it would encourage us uh, in our walk and in our service with you. I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, three weeks ago, you may remember that as we uh, continued this study of Hezekiah, we watched as the scripture made it clear that Hezekiah had every intention of opening up the house of the Lord that his father had closed down. And so what we dealt with a few weeks ago was this simple truth, is that Hezekiah determined that the house of the Lord would be a priority in his life, and he was going to do everything he could to make it a priority in the lives of those there in the land of Israel or in the land of Judah. And so last week what we touched on and what we dealt with was this, is that Hezekiah took advantage of the opportunity he had to influence the lives of others. Hezekiah realized he had a position of authority, and he realized that that carried some influence with it. And because of that authority and the influence he had, he was going to make the most of it. And so last week, I just tried to remind us that though we'll probably never have the same measure of influence as Hezekiah, God has given all of us a measure of influence in the lives of others to have impact in their spiritual lives and in their direction. And as a result of that influence that God has given us and that opportunity, we need to try to seize that opportunity. We don't want to let that opportunity be wasted and to go by us. And so if we don't seize the opportunity, we will regret it one day. It's just that simple. We will regret it. And so whether it be in the home with our spouse or with our children or at our place of work, whomever it may be, when God gives opportunity, you and I need to seize it. We need to take advantage of it and try to have influence in that person's spiritual life. That in mind, tonight we're obviously moving on. And as we do, I want to share a story with you. Some of you will remember this. Others of you will not because this was before your time. But several years ago, and I say before your time, it was before your time at the church, all right? So that said, several years ago, Dr. Bill Rice approached me about the idea of hosting a marriage conference at our church. Do you remember that? All right, a few of you do. Anyways, as a result of approaching me with that idea... I didn't see a problem with it. I didn't see how it could possibly hurt. It's always good to have some additional information and additional help on having a good, strong marriage and a good, strong home. And so we agreed to have this marriage conference that he would speak at, that Mary would also speak at to the ladies. And and as we settled on a date, I began doing what needed to be done to prepare for this. 
And so I began talking to a couple of hotels in the area, trying to get special rates for anyone who would come from out of town. I began looking at the schedule and how we were going to work things. I began to look at the menu and uh, figure out what we were going to feed people for those who came. And, and we mailed out flyers. We did all these things to promote this marriage conference that we would be hosting. Well, if you were here, you may remember this, that the turnout was less than spectacular. In fact, it was pretty weak. Some might even say it was pathetic. That's what I would say. It was pretty weak at best. So as this marriage conference is kicking off on a Friday night and I look around and there are very few participants in it, you know what it did? It affected my attitude. We've gone through all this trouble. We've gone through all this effort. We've spent all this time preparing. We've spent all this time putting this together and this is the response that we got? Well, this is terrible. This is pathetic. It's awful. And as a result of my perspective on things, you know what I was un unable to do? Well, I was unable to enjoy the conference, and I was unable to benefit from it. I was so irritated throughout the entire conference that I got so little out of the event itself that... In my mind, I've kind of determined at that time that I won't make this mistake again. I won't ever do that if I have any say in the matter. Now, you think about it, my attitude keeping me from being blessed and helped in the way that I could have, it's kind of unfortunate, is it not? It's unfortunate. I'll let you admit that on my behalf. It's unfortunate that I let my attitude keep me from being helped in the way that I could have been and probably should have been. But let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation like that where you're responsible for planning something, you've gone through all the efforts, you've gone through all the energy, and then one by one, people that you thought would be there began dropping out? Have you ever been in a situation like that? You get a phone call and, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. Hey, we've got other plans. Hey, I forgot about what you were doing and we rescheduled and we're doing something else. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know that it's hard sometimes to keep your attitude right to keep your spirit what it's supposed to be. Sometimes you yourself have probably gotten irritated at everyone who's not following through or not participating in what you consider to be important. Why do we do that? I don't know, but we do it. So that in mind, we're going to look in Second Chronicles chapter 30 tonight. As we do, I want to share some things with us, remind some of this, and maybe this will be new information to others, but I want us to be reminded of this truth that in Israel's early days as a nation, they enjoyed a united kingdom. You remember this? As a result of coming out of their bondage and as a result of coming into the promised land, we know that there were many, many, many years where the children of Israel were led and guided by the judges that God would appoint, that God would put in their lives. But there came this point in the nation of Israel that they said they wanted a king like all the other nations. 
As a result of this desire, Samuel the prophet tried to talk them out of this, but the people would not hear it. They said, no, make us a king. And so God finally granted their request, and he told Samuel to give them the king, and he said to warn them as to what all of this would eventually produce in their lives. But Israel, nonetheless, they didn't care about the warning, and they pursued and they insisted on getting a king. So Saul was the first king to rule over the people of Israel. This should be making some sense to some of us at least, right? All right. So Saul served as the first king of the people of Israel, again a united kingdom, and then he was removed from the throne because of sin and his eventual death. And that brought in David, who would then serve as the king of Israel for the next 40 years. And then after the death of David, Solomon ascended to the throne, and he would serve as the king of a united kingdom for several years. But after the death of Solomon, the kingdom divided. There was a northern region and there was a southern region. The northern region was made up of ten tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel. There are twelve tribes in Israel. And so in the northern kingdom, there were ten tribes. And in the southern kingdom, there were two tribes. And so while there was an open border between the northern and the southern kingdoms, there was very much a definitive line that this group belongs to this kingdom and this group belongs to this kingdom, the northern and the southern. And each region had their own king. So to the north, you had the king of Israel. And to the south, you had the king of Judah. You following this? Okay. Now, this is important for this reason. In the southern kingdom, in the land of Judah, is where Jerusalem was at, the capital city originally of Israel. And this is where the temple of Solomon was built. So this is where every Jew in years past would have come for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of sacrifices, for the purpose of offerings, and so many other religious uh, activity. So it was very important to all Jews, to all Israelites, but as a result of the division in the kingdom, not everyone in the north would value or esteem the temple in the way that they should have or in the way that they ought why is that important? It's important for this reason. Because you have to remember that there were not temples scattered all throughout the northern region like churches are scattered around today. Okay? The temple was still supposed to, supposed to be a key and central part of the lives of Israelites in their service and in their worship of God. So, where does the temple reside in Second Chronicles? It resides in the southern kingdom in the land of Judah. And who is the king of Judah at this time? It's Hezekiah. So what is Hezekiah determined to do? He has determined to open the house of the Lord, the temple or the house of the Lord that his father had closed down for many, many years. So he's had the temple cleansed, he's had it sanctified, he's had the priest and the Levites cleansed and sanctified. We looked last week as the offerings were brought, as the sacrifices were made, and as all that happens and as all that takes place, notice in uh, verse number 1 of chapter 30, it says this, 
It says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. And so what does Hezekiah want the children of Israel to do? He wants them to once again observe the Passover. And if you're familiar with Israelite history, if you're familiar with Jewish history, then here's what you know, that the Passover was something that the Israelites were supposed to observe on an annual basis to remind them of the night that God brought them out of their bondage from Egypt. This was something they were supposed to do every year to remind them and to teach the the new generation of children as to what God had done for them and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And so here is Hezekiah, and as the temple has been cleansed, as the Levites and the priests have been sanctified, he is wanting now to institute the Passover once more. And while the time is not appropriate or while the time is not exact as it relates to when it's supposed to be done, they go ahead and they move forward with the observance of the Passover So notice in verse number 5 what it says. It says, So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So in verse number 5, what did Hezekiah do? He had a decree established, and he had a decree given, and a proclamation was going to go throughout all of Israel. Notice where it says it was going to reach from, from Beersheba even to Dan. So what does this mean? Well, if you were to look on a biblical map from thousands of years ago, if you were to look at this map as it is divided into regions of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, here's what you would find, is that Beersheba is at the very southern part of the southern kingdom, and Dan is at the very northern part of the northern kingdom. And so what you have is this, is that you have Hezekiah inviting all Jews, all Israelites, to involve themselves in the observance of this Passover. Hezekiah doesn't care if it's a part of their their kingdom or their uh, area or the northern. Hezekiah is extending this invitation to all Jews, to all Israelites. Now that was a generous gesture, was it not? He is inviting them to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple or to the house of the Lord, so that they might, as a nation, once more remind themselves of what God had done for them so many years ago, because the Scripture said in verse number 5 that they, as a nation, had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. And so this is something that had been disregarded, that had been neglected, and Israel had not been doing what they were required or commanded to do. So you have to commend Hezekiah, do you not, for his effort and for his willingness to invite and involve everyone? That it is commendable. So notice in verse number 6. It says, "So so So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes, Throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying. 
So what were the posts? Well, they would have been the messengers. So the messengers, upon receiving this commandment or receiving this proclamation, it says they began to make their way throughout all Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. So in this proclamation, what is a portion of the message? Well, a portion of the message is this, is return and turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. So turn back to God. And in doing so, here is what will happen, he said, he will return to the remnant of you. Look in verse number 9 what it says. It says, For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. So in this invitation that's being extended to all Jews, whether they be of the north or of the south, as this proclamation is being given, what are they being encouraged to do? They are being encouraged to return to the Lord, to turn to Him, and in doing so, they would find that God would turn to them and show them compassion and show them mercy because that is the kind of God that God is. So there's a wonderful challenge in that proclamation being dispersed through the entire nation. So notice in verse number 10 what it says. So the post, or the messengers, passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But notice the response that they received. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. They laughed them to scorn and mocked them. These areas, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Zebulun, what were they a part of? They were a part of the northern kingdom. They were not a part of the southern kingdom. They were a part of the northern kingdom where, truthfully, Hezekiah had no jurisdiction. So it's not as though he could force the people to come to Jerusalem. It's not as though he could force them to come to the temple and observe the Passover. Yet here is what Hezekiah has done in the goodness of his heart in in hopes of turning the wrath of God away from Israel so that they might know the compassion and the mercy of God. He has extended unto them this invitation with this plea to turn back to God. And what have some in the nation done? They've laughed and they have mocked and they have scorned the message they've been given. Well, those messengers, no doubt, had to come back to the land of Judah, right? Come on, they had to have come back to Judah, correct? It wasn't as though that as a result of giving the message, they just then left the country. No, they would have come back to Judah, and they would have had, I'm sure, to have given some kind of report to Hezekiah as to how their journeys and their proclamations went. 
So can you imagine some of these messengers coming back and saying something to this effect? Hey, listen, king, we went out and we did exactly what you told us to do. We said exactly what you told us to say. We gave the invitations as you instructed us to give it. And here is how we were received at least by a good number of our fellow Jews. They laughed at us. And they mocked us. And they scorned us. They don't care anything at all about returning to God. They don't care anything at all about turning from their sin and hoping to find the compassion and the mercy of God. That doesn't seem to be anything at all they are interested in. Now, I want us to think about this. Is Hezekiah a man like you and I? You better believe he is. He was every bit as much a man as you and I are by way of our flesh and by way of a thought process. And and everything that we have, Hezekiah would have had the exact same thing. So I want to ask you to think about this for just a moment. If you have just extended an invitation out of kindness and out of courtesy to a people that you really don't even have to have any interest in, if you have done all this in an effort to be kind, in an effort to be nice, and the report comes back that you were laughed at and you were mocked and you were scorned? Let's listen. Do you think that possibly that could have begun to mess with the mind of Hezekiah? I'm trying to reinstitute the observance of the Passover. I'm trying to get the children of Israel back to where they need to be. I'm trying to lead them, and I'm trying to guide them, and I'm trying to help them to to get us back to where we're supposed to be in our walk with God. Can you imagine what passed through his mind when he heard that that he was being laughed and mocked and scorned, this message that was being given? So what did Hezekiah do? Notice in verse number 11 it tells us. It says, nevertheless, divers or a diversified group or or many of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So what does that mean? It means this, that there was at least a handful of people. There were at least some who responded to the message and the invitation that was given. Obviously, it was not as big of a group as it could have been or should have been, but at least some responded. And so it says in verse number 12, Also in Judah, the hand of God was given to them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. So what does that mean? It means this, that some did respond from the northern tribe or from the northern kingdom. And in Judah, God gave them a heart to be unified in relation to this commandment of the kings and of the princes. And so what did they do? They carried on with the plan to observe the Passover as though everyone was participating, even though Hezekiah knew a good number of them had completely disregarded the invitation to participate. He carried on. He went ahead. In spite of whatever discouragement may have been there, in spite of whatever frustration may have been there, he continued to carry on with the observance of the Lord's, or the, the, the observance of the Passover 
And as you read through the next several verses, you know what you find? You find that it was a great success for those who participated. So much so, in verse number 26, it says this, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. It had been years and years and years since Israel had experienced anything like they experienced under the leadership of Hezekiah. So we've been trying to consider the life of Hezekiah, and we've been trying to consider the testimony of Hezekiah. So what is there to gather from this portion of the Scripture in relation to him and his example? Well, this is what I got from it. Regardless of what could have served as a discouragement, he continued on, and he pressed on, He didn't let it keep him from doing what he knew needed to be done. And in the end, he and everyone who participated was blessed by the willingness to just do it, even though others refused to participate. It's a pretty good example. In fact, for me, it's a fantastic example. You know why it's a fantastic example for me? I'm going to tell you why. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, okay? But we're not always the largest gathering of believers. Did you know that? Yeah, (laughs) Shocking to some. We're not. Now, in light of that, not always being the biggest gathering of believers... You know what also happens sometimes? It gets even worse than it sometimes already is. You know, you show up to church on a Sunday morning and you find out, oh, they're sick. Well, okay, I hate that. Boy, well, it's, it's that time of year. They're sick. Okay. And the same Sunday, you find out, oh, they're sick. Oh, great. All right. Well, uh, okay, that, that's fine. You mean the whole family is sick? Good night. How many people do we have sick today? And you find out, oh, it's like 14. You might as well say 1,400. That's what it feels like. You're like, ah, we can't absorb this. And then you find out, oh, yeah, they're traveling. I forgot about that. Mm, yeah, they're out of town too. And then you look around and you say, I wonder where so-and-so was at. And somebody says, well, I don't have any idea. Well, do you have any idea where they were at? No, I don't know where they were at. I, I, no, they're not traveling. I just talked to them yesterday. No, they, they're in town. No, they're not sick. I don't know what's going on. You, you understand what this looks like, right? You know, you're not exactly dealing with the hugest congregation or the largest congregation in the first place. Then you've got these people who are sick, and you've got these people who are traveling, and you've got these people who have just decided to do something else for the day. You know what it begins to do sometimes to the preacher? begins to affect the old attitude sometimes. So much so that the preacher sometimes, whether he should or not, sometimes the preacher's getting a little bent out of shape. This is dumb. Why are we even here this morning? Hey, if they're not here and they're not here and they're not here and they're not here, why are we here? See, that's a terrible attitude to have. 
You can say amen to that. It is a terrible attitude to have. But sometimes from my perspective and in the position I'm in, you start looking around at all the people who aren't there and that keeps you from taking advantage of what is already scheduled and what is already planned. And if you're not careful, then the whole day is wasted because you've given all of your attention to the ones who should have been there or could have been there instead of the ones who were there. So see, it's an, it's an excellent testimony and it's an excellent example to me to not let the lack of participants keep me from doing what we know needs to be done. Because here's what I have found, though probably not true every time, here's what I have found, that whenever I am mature enough to block out all the who's not here's and just focus on the who is here's, I have discovered that more times than not, I am greatly blessed in those services. And the ones who have actually come, even in the midst of those circumstances, they are blessed as well because that just seems to be the way God does it. But it's hard to remember that sometimes. So that's from the pastor's perspective. Brother Kyle, you may not have noticed, but I'm not the pastor of the church. Well, you're in luck. I did notice. So so there are some things in this message for you that that you can learn from Hezekiah. Well, what could I possibly learn? All right, Sunday school teachers, ask yourself this question. So I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'll get to you in a minute, okay? Be patient. Sunday school teachers, ask yourself this question. Have you ever gone out and made visits to your Sunday school class members? And you're thinking, okay, they're going to be here. And, oh, good, we had a really good visit yesterday. And, oh, good, they're going to be here. And, and good, I think they're going to come back. Have you ever gone to bed on a Saturday night anticipating great things in your Sunday school class the next morning? Only to wake up the next morning and find out the person who said they were going to come, ah, they didn't show up. And the person who said they were going to come, ah, they didn't show up. And the person who said they were going to come, you don't know what happened to them. Have you ever been in a situation like that and you thought, what in the world? Have you ever entered entered into Sunday school just kind of half mad at all the people who aren't there? No, Brother Kyle. I just sat back and thanked God for all the ones who showed up. I don't believe you. If you put forth the effort to go out and to visit, if you put forth the effort to try to make that connection with that person and they tell you they're going to be there and then they don't show up, It has a tendency to bug us. But what do we need to do? We need to carry on as though everyone who ought to participate is participating. Because when we carry on with the right spirit and we don't focus on the ones who haven't shown up, you know what we have a much greater risk of experiencing? It's called a blessing. Listen, you and I have a better chance to be a blessing to the people who are actually there if we're not mad at all the ones who aren't there. It's that way in the bus ministry, is it not? Went out and visited all these kids yesterday, and now they're sleeping in on Sunday morning. Good grief. They told me, we got a promotion going on, and, and they just slept in. Okay, well, be mad at all the kids who didn't sleep in. That'll show them. 
But our flesh struggles with it, right? So, Brother Kyle, you know, I'm not the pastor, I'm not a Sunday school teacher, I'm not a bus worker. What about ladies' Bible study? You know, every time there's a ladies' Bible study, Susie comes home and, and I'll ask her, so, did you have a good crowd? Yeah, it's okay. Or, yeah, it was real good. Or, nope. Sometimes you can hear it in the tone of, nope. Well, where were they at? I don't know. They just didn't show up. I know. Did, did you get a text? Nope. I don't know. You know, in a situation like that, you know what you've got to be reminded of, ladies? Don't focus on the ones who aren't there. Focus on the ones who are there. And when you do, you've got a much greater chance of being blessed by just following through and not letting the others discourage you if you're prone to be that way. So, well, you still haven't got to me. All right. You ever invited someone to church? You ever invited someone to church and they said, oh, yeah, we'll be there. You know, we're, we're, listen, listen, we're not talking bus ministry. We're not talking Sunday school class. We're not talking anything other than just trying to invite that person to church, family member, co-worker, neighbor, whomever it may be, and, and you've invited them and they've said yes, but then they didn't come, and then you invite them again and they say yes and they didn't come, and you invite them again and they said yes and they didn't come. Have you ever gotten mad at the person for just not following through with what they said they are going to do? Amen. Yeah. And you know, if you're not careful, you know what that turns into? I'm not going to invite them either because they'll probably just lie to me like the other people did. One, we, we get these attitudes, don't we? Have you ever tried to do something that you felt like the Lord was leading you to do? You know, maybe start a Bible study at work. Maybe try to invest in this person. Try to, try to really help this individual. And, and it doesn't go the way that you envisioned it in your mind. And you've worked and you've prayed and you've studied and you've, you've done everything you know to do to try to make an impact in this person's life. And it just kind of falls flat and nothing's accomplished. Isn't it amazing how much that can affect your attitude? Well, if we're honest, every one of us can identify with this to an extent. We go out and we knock door after door after door after door, and what is it accomplishing? We go out and we do this and we try this and we're doing this and we're doing that, and it just doesn't seem to be making any difference. And if we're not careful, we can reach a point where we say, why even bother? Why try? It's not accomplishing anything. It's not really doing much. So, so I don't really know why we keep doing some of this. Listen. Hezekiah, humanly speaking, had every reason to be irritated, frustrated, and discouraged before the observance of the Passover even started. They didn't have RSVPs back then. He didn't know who was going to show up the first day of the Passover observance. Nobody had mailed in their pre-registration. Nobody had sent the email saying, hey, we'll be there. You can count on my five. They didn't do that. I don't know that it happened this way, but, you know, you just kind of envision. I wonder if Hezekiah was just standing there that morning wondering who would show up. 
Well, it had to have been an encouragement that at least some showed up, right? And they had a good number. The scripture says that it was a good multitude of people. So it ended up good. But in the back of, the, in the back of his mind, Hezekiah knew it could have been better. But that's not what he chose to focus on. And you can take this principle and you can apply this in so many different areas of life. The expectations may not be met. What you had envisioned in your mind may not go the way that you thought it was going to. And you can either let that discourage you and frustrate you and bring you to the point that you're not able to benefit from what it is you've got planned. Or you can just say, you know, in spite of that, we will carry on and we will get everything that we can out of this. And it's amazing how much of a blessing we receive with that kind of an attitude. So whether it be needed tonight or Sunday, or at some point in the future, I would encourage you, remember the example of Hezekiah. Some disappointment, yes. Some frustration, most likely. But a willingness to just continue on and not let them keep him and the others from receiving what God had in store for them. Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I do pray that you'd help us to look at this example of Hezekiah. God, his willingness and his effort and his desire to reach out to all those there in the land of Israel and how he was mocked and scorned and laughed at this message that was sent. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to remember that even when things don't go the way we would envision them or to go or, or, or whatever it may be, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to carry on and to just do what we know that you've laid on our heart to do so that we and others might be blessed by it. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.